All right. Good morning, church. So, so glad to have you here this Memorial Day weekend. Hey, before we get started, I just want to stop and pause and just be thankful for the country that we live in. As Christians, we know this, freedom isn't free. I mean, Jesus, he had to die to pay for our sins. And there are men and women who have given their lives so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have today. And you know what? As many problems as our country has, and you could talk about the social problems, the political problems, and, but the bottom line is this, good luck finding a better place to live. I mean, good luck with that. And so I don't know about you, but me, I'm so proud to be an American. I really am. Yeah, yeah, let's celebrate that. I mean, we are very fortunate to live in the country that we do. And uh, as, we're, as we're jumping into this passage of Scripture, before we do that, I just wanted to give a couple disclaimers that um, as I'm preaching, I want you to know that I'm preaching to myself. So welcome to the party, everybody. Um, this is for me. I think it'll help be helpful for you too. Um, we're jumping into this series, we're talking about how Goliath must fall, and I love the whole premise of it. You know, the picture of David isn't a picture of us taking down our giants. David is a picture of Jesus, and he has slain our giants, and we need to live in that freedom. And that's what this is all about. And so let's go ahead and jump into the scripture. Uh, the passage we've been dealing with is 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to jump around a little bit but I'm going to start off in verse 15. So if you would make your way there and if you would stand to your feet, we stand here in honor of reading God's word. So 1 Samuel 17, verse 15. David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So from home to the battlefield. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. And then in verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other, and David left his things, the things he was carrying with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now jump all the way down to verse 50. This is the good part at the end. David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And then verse 54, David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. And then verse 57, as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with David still holding the Philistine's head. Thank you. You may be seated. You're all thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Well, see, I made the mistake of being a little smarty pants when I was getting ready for this message. I thought, you know, I've heard the story of David and Goliath since I was in diapers. I'm not sure exactly what new I'm going to learn from this passage. That's what this whole sermon is, in case you're curious. All the new stuff that God's been, you know, speaking to me about. I'm sure some of you picked up on a good bit of it. 
So that's my first confession. My, sex, my second confession is this. It's that when we decided to extend the series and, and Greg asked me to, to preach and he asked me to talk about complacency at first, oh yeah, good, I get to preach. And then I'm like, oh man, I don't want to preach on complacency. Well, anyway, you see how it's... And then I'd rather preach on something like big, like, you know, Anger must fall, addiction must fall, or pride must fall, something like that, not complacency. And this little thought just floated right into my head and said, this is your giant. And I went, dang, it is, it is. And actually, this is your giant too, it really is. Because this is the reason that fear is controlling you, because you don't care enough to deal with it. Complacency is the reason that you're addicted to anything because you don't really want to fight it. Complacency is also the reason that you might be letting rejection define you because you don't want to face into your pain. Which brings us to our first big thought today is that complacency is subtle and slow. Check that out on the screen. And so here's what complacency likes to do. It likes to put on camouflage, hide in the bushes, Roll under the couch, hide under the bed, and it creeps out only when you least expect it. And it tries to be so incognito like you don't even notice it. You know, I had one of these aha moments when I was reading this passage in preparation for today. And so before, I've always imagined the Israelites on one ridge and the Philistines on the other and this big, big valley between them. And then Goliath would saunter out with his big cheerleader megaphone and he would shout his accusations against God and curse God and and curse the Israelites and then he would go back. But that's not at all what happened. I never realized that when David showed up, he showed up, it was go time. The war chant was going on. I mean, I don't know what they're saying. Is they're, they're, they're roaring or yelling. They're blowing the horn. And then they're going out. And then they run out in the middle of this valley. And they line up. They're like face to face with the Philistines. And they're all threatening war and shouting, shouting and challenging each other. And then Goliath jumps out. And then people head for cover a little bit. And so when David showed up, they were running. And I want you to think about the timing of it. David shows up on day 40. Now, I could go off on a lot more significant things about with the number 40, but we'll just leave it that David shows up on day 40, and that means that 39 days straight, they've done this twice a day. Now, I just want to confess to you that, hey, I was this close to being a math major in college. And so if it means that they did this two times a day for 39 days, that means that they faced off 78 times. Aren't you impressed? Aren't you impressed? So impressed. So 78 times, rah, rah, rah. They're banging their swords and their shields. They're saying, we're going to get you. They're looking as threatening as possible. 78 times and nothing happens. Now, if you had asked any commander, any soldier, heck, anybody in all of Philistia or Israel, they would never have imagined that their army would face off 78 times and do nothing. How in the world is that possible? Well, I know how it's possible with three little words, not right now, not right now. How many times have I said that? Oh my goodness. Think of it this way. Let me get my geek on for just a little bit. There's a physicist, his name is Hans Van Leeuwen. And Dr. Hans, he popularized the domino magnification effect. And here it is. When a domino falls over, it creates 
enough force to knock over another domino twice its size. And to prove his point, Dr. Hans, he set up this whole display. And the first domino was five millimeters tall. He had to set it with some tweezers. And the last domino in the chain was 26 feet tall and over a thousand pounds. And the same principle is true in your life and in my life. You see, every time we say, not right now, it's that much more difficult to start. That's the bad news. The good news is every step you take, you gain more momentum. It's that much easier to keep going. And that's why complacency is our enemy. That's why he tries to sneak around. And that leads us to our second big thought today, and that the enemy of complacency is persistence. And I really don't like this point at all because I want the enemy of complacency to be your attitude. I want it to be encouragement because encouragement is my gift. I want to pump you up. I want to get you going. I want to inspire you to keep following Jesus and serving him. But here's what we all know, sports fans. Our feelings go up and down like a roller coaster. And we don't always feel it, do we? And so the key to conquering complacency is not giving up. And David, man, did he ever have a bunch of reasons to give up. Now, he was the baby of the family. I know there's been books written about birth order and, you know, how the baby in our culture, you know, gets it a little bit easier. It was exactly the opposite in David's day because to the firstborn, they got everything. I mean, so Eliab, he's the oldest. The firstborn, they got the inheritance. They got the farm. They got the business. They got to tell everybody what to do. And so they're the big shot. And then whatever's left after that is parsed out in smaller and smaller amounts, son by son by son. And David was number eight on the totem pole, so he wasn't looking forward to too much. And that wasn't just true with inheritance. That was true with everything. Look at the job that David had. He was the shepherd. No one wanted to be the shepherd. Let's just modernize this a little bit. Let's bring it up to our culture. So it's, it's chore day, chore day at home. What does Eliab get to do? He gets to make the chore chart, la ti da. You know, and the next oldest, he gets to dust a little bit. And then on down, oh, he has to wipe off the counters. Someone has to do the dishes. So what is David's job every single week? Yeah, you know it. He's cleaning the toilet every single week and he's got seven older brothers and it's nasty, nasty, nasty. So he's the one picking up the dog poop. He doesn't get to pet the dog. This is why he has to clean the dog poop up. That's what being shepherd is. It's awful. And then I, then I, then I began to think, well, there's this big event that happened in David's life. And it was probably two years before his battle with Goliath. And David was actually anointed king. It's, a, it's this crazy story. God's telling Samuel, his prophet, he says, get over Saul, go to Jesse's house. I'm going to anoint the next king. And so he shows up and he says, here's my oldest son, Eliab. And Eliab, he's tall, he's handsome, he's smart. He's got it together. He's like Nate Jennings, our worship pastor. He's standing there, you know, he's got it going on. And, and God says, nope, not him. He says, okay, let's bring the next oldest brother, find him, bring him in. And and they go brother by brother by brother by brother by brother. And now they act like there's no more brothers. In fact, Samuel looks at Jesse and says, please tell me you have another son because God said no to everybody so far. And Jesse's like, oh my goodness, you want me to get the runt? Okay, he's, right now he's cleaning toilets. I mean, he's picking up dog poop. I mean, he's watching the sheep. He's watching the sheep. Let me go get him. And sure enough, David gets anointed king. 
I mean, it's this amazing ceremony. This oil flows down his head. The official declaration for him to be king happens. I mean, imagine, imagine uh, your little brother, you know, who's about 10 or 12 years old, and someone shows up and says, you're now the next president of the United States of America. You know, it's craziness. It's insanity. And the weirdest thing happens after that. Nothing changes. Here's David. I got anointed king. Go pick up the dog poop. Go watch the sheep. He's still doing the same thing. The only thing that's changed is that his brothers love him oh so much more because he's had this special experience with the prophet Samuel. And then think about how easy it would have been for him to give up this very day. And you know, we heard that He's like, has these 10 loaves of bread and these 10 cheeses he's carrying with him and an epa of grain. I thought, what is an epa? And so thank you, Google. An epa is about 26, I mean, 36 to 40 pounds. And I thought, well, how far did David have to carry this? Thank you, BibleMapper.com. Bethlehem to this valley is about 14 miles. That's like me swinging through Costco picking up the 40-pound bag of rice and 10, you know, foot-long Subway sandwiches and then the supersized cheese tray, loading it up on my son Caleb and saying, hey, bud, go do the mini indie, drop this off, and then go do the mini again. Thanks, love you, pal. I mean, I couldn't do that. That's like back surgery for me right there, sports fans. Now, Caleb could probably pull it off, but I couldn't. I mean, so imagine David shows up after this big trek, toting all this stuff. And then he runs out after the army. Despite all of this, David didn't lose his passion. Here's the lesson. God's plan for you is bigger than your circumstances. We have this temptation when our world is blowing up, when we're facing rejection, when we can't can't find a job, when, when school is eating our lunch. And then all of a sudden we're like, God, where are you? And God says, I'm right here. I'm right here. Keep running with me. Keep running with me. Don't give up. This thought rolled through my mind. How many times have I missed a moment that God had where he wanted to use me just because I gave up? Just because I got exhausted and said, no, I'm just stopping. Because when you think about it, all the devil really wants from you and from me is just to give up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll settle for messing up your relationships and ruining your life. Yeah, that's just gravy for him. But what he really wants you to do is to stop influencing anybody else. If you'll just stop, he'll probably leave you alone. Think of these words from the New Testament, from Hebrews 10, verse 36. Listen to these. It says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Don't shrink back. Don't give up. Mark my word, friends, there will be times when you will want to give up. That's been true for me. Galatians 6, 9 is even uh, more to the point. It said, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. What? If we do not give up. And that leads us to our third big thought today. It's this, that it's hard to be complacent when you're running. When you're moving forward, it's hard to drag and be lazy and give up. Think about David. I mean, he was humping all that stuff all the way from home to the battlefield. David ran to take down Goliath. 
And when Goliath fell, the entire army of Israel ran after the Philistines in pursuit. God is calling you and me to run with him. Complacency doesn't stand a chance when we're running. Now, to be honest with you guys, I'm a little intimidated to be preaching to you of all people about complacency because this is a church that gets it done. I mean, you guys inspire me. We're getting ready to jump out into serve week. Uh, You guys give so amazingly generous. I mean, it's just awesome how generous you are and all the things that you do, all the numbers of people that we have involved here. When I talk about the percentage of people that are involved and invested at Union Chapel, other they go, really? You've got to be kidding me. I was like, yeah, that's my church. That's my church. And, you know, we're making some changes around here. In fact, next week, we're kicking off a shift in our service times. And so it'll be 5.30 on Saturday, just like it has been. And then all of our services will be in this room, uh, 8.30, that, the early one will be a little bit earlier, and then the 10 o'clock stays the same. But you guys, you'll start at 11.30. Now, most of you are going, oh, we have to start 15 minutes later. Say, give me a break. You guys aren't in here until 1130 anyway. Come on, come on. Share the love a little bit. In fact, I said, let's not say anything to 1115 service and they won't even notice. (laughs) So, you know, we're not doing this to save electricity or make it more convenient or make it easier to communicate. And those are all important things. We're doing this because research has shown beyond denial that the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, that is a formative time in people's lives. It rocked my world when I heard that only, you only have a 25% chance of giving your life to Jesus after the sixth grade. You have got to be kidding me. For those of us that are older, that time was college. And, And for me, I mean, it was high school. And then it shifted to middle school. This is where it is now. And because you guys are people who run after Jesus, you're like, no, we can't have that. No generation can miss experiencing Jesus in an authentic and personal way. That's why we're kicking off the four, five, six ministry this fall. And let me tell you what, there's gonna be families and children who come to know Jesus. They're gonna decide to live for Jesus for the rest of their lives because of the things that you and I are doing and for the sacrifices that we're making. Glory to God. Glory to God. That's right. That's what it's about. And so that's the big picture, but a specific picture, God has things for you. He has things for you. This was another one of those aha moments for me. Think about this. What weapon did David use to take down Goliath? Or what weapon did God tell David to pick up when he took down Goliath? Now my whole life, just like the video, I saw the sling going round and round and round. Now, when you look at the text, you realize that the text literally says, David took his staff in his hand. He had a pouch with five smooth stones. He had a sling in his hand. And I always thought that, well, David had a sling in one hand and a staff in the other in the pouch. And how did David with the staff get the stones out of his pouch and put them in the sling and not get it wrapped up? And then all of a sudden, I realized that David was using a stave. It's a staff sling. And they're very common in that day. And it wasn't just any staff sling. It was his staff. Don't miss the significance of this. Because it was not glorious to be a shepherd. You had the lowest job on the totem pole. 
And God said, I want you to pick that up. It's like, swords are cooler, God. He said, no, that doesn't fit you. He says, pick that up. And God wants you to run with everything in your life. Maybe you couldn't connect with your dad when you were little. Maybe you were exposed to pornography as a young child. Maybe you stuttered as a kid. Maybe there's things in your life that you've been hiding that you're ashamed of. And God says, no, pick that up and run with me. Because when you come to Jesus, he wants you to run with him with all that you are, with everything that you've been through. And sometimes we can play this little comparison game. Oh, I wish I could pray like so-and-so. I wish I could lead like, I wish I was as creative. I wish I could sing like this other person. I mean, one of the things I do to encourage myself is I listen to other preachers. I'm like, man, if I could only preach like him, oh, man, that would be awesome. Here's the reality of it. If God wanted you to be somebody else, he would have made you somebody else. God wants to use you as you, not the idealized version of you, not the, not the version of you that you think God really wants. God wants to use you just like you are, right where you are, with everything that you've been through. And he says, pick that up and run with me. Pick up your past and come with me. Pick up your experiences and run with me. You know why? Because God has a giant to take down and he wants to use you to do it. Somebody needs your story. Somebody needs your testimony. Somebody needs to know that the thing that they struggled with, that you've received victory there. And maybe you're not even free of it yet. Pick it up and run with God. Because when you run with Jesus, you run with everything that you've been through. Everything matters to God. My last thought is this, is to be brutal and ferocious with the giants God has defeated. This is where it gets a little creepy. But before we do that, I want us to think about the opposite, the opposite of being brutal and ferocious. Because sometimes I can get kind of cutesy with complacency. You know, yeah, there's some dog lovers, some cat lovers in the room. You love your little pets. You know who you are. You know who you are. You know what happens whenever your cute dog, he chews up your flip-flop that should have been thrown away three years ago? You go, you're such a bad boy. No, 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 never again. Shame, shame, shame on you. And they're just, you know, wagging, looking at you. And sometimes we can be all cutesy with complacency. You go, you get out of here, complacency. No, I don't want to see you anymore. Here's what I found. Maybe you're better at this than I am, but every time... I come against complacency with a casual attitude, I lose. Every time, every time. And I want you to look at how David addressed his giant. David was very specific. It was almost, it was almost obnoxious what he said. He said, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And then I'm going to take you down and cut off your head. I'm gonna give you and the whole Philistine army to the birds of the air and the animals of the field so that the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. Because God, he doesn't save with swords and spears because the battle is the Lord's. Your battle is the Lord's. It's his. He owns it. He has given you the victory and you can live in it. You need to tell your giant what God is going to do to it. My good friend, Pastor Cole, sometimes when he's driving to work, he told us that, 
You know, he, he feels that fear coming on him and those giants come at him. He goes, we're going to kill you. We're going to take you down. He's driving down the road, giving a lecture to his giants. That's exactly what David is doing. In fact, I know this sounds goofy, but it's been helpful for me personally. And so maybe I'm just feeling insignificant and I, I'm like, this thought, you're not going to do any good. This is going to be just a waste of a weekend, Glenn. And I just say, off with your head, off with your head. That lustful thought comes into your mind and you're tempted to, dr- to dwell on that. Off with your head. All that comparison, no, off with your head. Now, if anger is your problem and you're in an argument with your spouse, do not use those words, please. That's a bad idea. Bad idea, bad idea, bad idea. Why be so brutal? Why be, because we are at war. Not only is there a war going on for your soul or for your salvation, there's a war going on for your destiny. Jesus put it this way. He said, the enemy, our devil, he comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come so that you can have life, life in all of its fullness, life in all of its abundance. And this, this last part, what did David do to Goliath's head? He cut the thing off. God wants you to decapitate your enemy. In other words, he wants you to cut off the thing that has caused you to stumble. He wants you to be brutal with it. He wants you to, to not get cutesy with it, to not, you know, snuggle up to it, but to say no, 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 no. And maybe you don't want to do it. Maybe you can just say Jesus. In those moments when you're struggling, you don't have to say off with your head. You don't say we're going to kill you. Just say Jesus. Jesus come. Jesus help. And he will show up every time, my friends, every single time. Now here's the super creepy part. What did David do with Goliath's head? He carried the thing around. In verse 54, David carried Goliath's head to Jerusalem. Thank you, BibleMapper.com. 20-mile trip. David kept the Philistine sword in his tent, and I bet the head stood there too. Like, anybody want to take Goliath's head? Anybody? Anybody? No. no. Say, no, thank you. And then in verse 57, David still had Goliath's head in his hands when he went to go see King Saul. Could you imagine, like, going cruising with David? Hey, David, what's that hanging from your rearview mirror? (laughs) That's Goliath's head. Yeah. And someone in this room, you have like a little rabbit's foot, foot, uh, good luck keychain. It's like, you imagine David's Goliath head, good luck keychain. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Now don't let the brutality and gore of this make you miss the significance. Because God wants you to take your giant's head with you wherever you go. He wants you to show it off every opportunity you get. Because here's what happens. And you say, this is my struggle. This is what Jesus has brought me through. And he has saved me from this. What happens is that all of a sudden you find more freedom when you declare that. There's more freedom in your heart when you say, look at what Jesus has done in me. And here's what happens to other people. Somebody else needs your story. They need to know that someone can make it through what they're going through. This is true across the board. This is true even if you don't even believe in God or know Jesus. There is not a counseling center on the planet that does not use support groups. Because when we're going through something, we want somebody who's been there. We want somebody who's done that. We want someone who's found freedom and hope. 
And you need to be that because everybody doesn't have the same story, but someone needs to hear your story. Someone needs that. God wants to use your freedom to set other people free. I love the poetic justice of this. I love how the redemptive picture of God, the thing that had its hands around your neck, the thing that wanted to destroy your life, God literally takes that and he uses it to beat that out of the person who's being struggled by that very same thing. Freedom and hope, life and power through your darkest moments. That's a redeeming God. That's the God that we serve. A great example of this is our baptism videos. You never thought of them as decapitation videos. That's exactly what they do. One girl, she's getting baptized. She said, you know, I wasn't very sure of myself. Bam. But Jesus gave me confidence I never dreamed of. Another person said, hey, grief was smothering me. I did not know what to do. Bam. But Jesus gave me hope. And I'm better now. Another person said, addiction was ruining my relationships in my life. Bam. But thanks be to God, I'm clean. (laughs) That is so good. That is so good. Jesus did this too. I want you to imagine Jesus parading around his defeat over the enemy in your life. Listen to these words from Colossians 2, verses 14 through 15. It says, Jesus made a public spectacle of our sin, triumphing over them by the cross. People need to hear what Jesus has done for you. And when you go public with it, you find more freedom and you set people free from the very same thing that held you in bondage. And I know you get it. Complacency is my giant and it's your giant too. And no one is immune to complacency. I mean, think about David. He's like the boy king. He was anointed king. And then he killed Goliath. Despite all of that, he ended up taking advantage of a woman, getting her pregnant, having someone murder her husband, and he struggled as a parent. But that didn't disqualify him. Despite all that, God said, here is a man after my own heart. Look, you don't have to be King David. You just have to be you. You just have to not give up. You just have to fight complacency. And no matter what you've done or where you've been, you can run to him because he is with you every step of the way. As the worship team comes up, I just want to ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And maybe you're sitting out here in this room and you've realized for the very first time that that Jesus actually is proud of you, that he loves you. And you thought you had all these excuses, these things that you've done that you're ashamed of and you realize that he loves everything about you. And that for the first time that you can actually give your life to him and commit yourself to him. And if that's you, maybe you can just pray this prayer in your heart and in your mind. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead. I don't have it figured out, but I believe in you. And I want you to have all of me. Even that stuff I'm embarrassed about, I give it all to you, Jesus. So thank you for forgiving me. I place my life in your hands. Maybe you're sitting in this room and the battle is going on around you right now. And you've been blaming God for your circumstances. 
and you've realized that God wants you to pick that up, to run with him. And so church, as you think about this, what does Jesus want you to pick up? What head does he want you to hold high? Because there is freedom in the name of Jesus. And so in Jesus' name, complacency must fall. In Jesus' name, receive freedom and strength and life and love. In Jesus' name, let the lies that the devil has been pounding in your brain your whole life, let them fall away as you receive the love and acceptance that can only come from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Hey church, would you stand with me? And I know this is a message on complacency, but we have a closing song. So let's raise the roof.